The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. All right, we've got a massive week here on the podcast to preview both the outfield and starting pitcher positions. Two pods per position. Just an absolutely loaded week here on Fantasy Baseball Today. I am Frank Sample, joined as always by Scott White and Chris Towers on Monday, February 21st. And Chris, I realized I probably shouldn't have debuted Kokomo Friday without you, so I apologize. But you, Oh, it's okay. You weren't, it's on the, okay. you weren't on the pod Friday. I wanted to give you the opportunity to react to Kokomo Friday. What did you think of the song they gave you? Nice little shout out. And I, I feel like they got it right. I mean, Chris going to see bands that nobody's heard of. I, you know, I don't think that's entirely fair. I, I have, you know, uh, occasionally somewhat esoteric taste, but my taste can also skew pretty mainstream. I'm trying to think of some examples of a concert that I've been to recently that uh, would cover that, but um, I'm sure I can think of some. Mm, I think we're probably going to be waiting quite a while, Chris. <laughs> You've heard of Paul McCartney, right? Who is that? No, I'm just kidding. See, I legitimately can't tell if you're joking. <laughs> uh, honestly, who knows? Maybe I'm not joking. What's going on, Scotty? We are up to the outfield position. Obviously, uh, it's loaded. It, there's obviously a lot of thoughts here on the position. I think there's a lot of strategy involved as well. But uh, overall, your initial thoughts here on outfield here in 2022? I think it's fine. I mean, it doesn't really stand out in any particular way to me. It rarely does. It's It's, you know, just so vast three times as many players here as at any of the infield positions understandably and uh, but but you know it it it's more than even that you know because three times as many means that there's no real place for it to be that weak you know that like no matter what stage of the draft you're in whatever you're looking for you can find it in the outfield is it, is it a power source is it a speed source is it an upside play you know, there, there's always something there. So, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think as you move throughout the draft, you, I mean, you could still find something depending on your needs. Obviously, in points leagues, you're only going to start most likely only three outfielders there. So maybe not putting as much of an emphasis on it early on. Uh, and you could still find some gems in that format in the middle parts of the draft. But I feel like once you get past the top 30 or so, uh, the talent level does kind of fall off of a cliff, in my opinion. Uh, Chris, what do you think overall on the outfield position here uh, this upcoming season? I don't know. I don't think I have that much to add from what Scott said. I, I think the outfield is kind of 
it's kind of the this is going to be confusing because this is also a baseball term, but it's kind of the backstop of the positions in that, you know, it's kind of the place where like, if you need something at a specific point of the draft, you can probably find it at short at outfield, no matter what it is and what point in the draft it is just because, you know, like last season, the highest OPS among all positions was right. What right field and first base center fielders, you know, you'll get stolen bases from there, left fielders, you know, et cetera. And so I just think it's, it's, Whereas every other position kind of you do have some archetypes, you know, first baseman, sluggers, second baseman, you know, more speedy guys. Outfield covers the whole gamut in terms of the defensive spectrum and what kind of players play there. And so, you know, you're, you're always going to find what you need at outfield. Scott, what do you think about your strategy in three outfielder leagues versus five outfielder leagues? So typically five by five roto formats, people are going to be starting five outfielders in that league and then in head-to-head points typically in head-to-head categories leagues you start three outfielders do you make Uh it more of an emphasis in the five outfielder leagues to make sure you get you know maybe one inside your first five picks maybe you know two in your first seven or eight just to make sure that you don't wait too long at that position i don't know that i actually put more of an emphasis on it i think i think what happens more is in three outfielder leagues i am conscious about not filling it too soon mm-hmm. because I want to, I mean, there, there are a lot of, a lot of attractive outfield picks later in the draft and you don't, you don't want to just have to miss out on them because you've already filled your three outfield spots. I'm not saying I'd pass over an outfielder in round one, you know, Juan Soto or Juan, Juan Soto is my number one pick in a head to head points leagues, which is typically three outfielders, you know, somebody that high end, of course, you're not going to stress about what position he plays too much. But, you know, if we get into round, I don't know, four, and it's like, do well, so I So you got take... like, you want a hitter, and you've got like J.D. Martinez or Alex Bregman. And you've already got yeah, two outfielders. Yeah. You probably take Bregman there. Yeah, you probably take Bregman. I, w- I was going to say like in round four or five or I, I-, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example. <laughs> like, uh, okay, round five, George Springer versus Pete Alonso. Probably, particularly if I already have an outfielder and I'm talking about Springer as my second outfielder, I'm not going to fill that in round five. Come on. But if it's a five outfielder league, I might not stress about it too much. I might still take Alonso because I just like him more. But... um I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Chris, I feel like you live for these strategy conversations. In fact, I know that you do because we've talked about it off air. But... I found myself really gravitating towards Luis Robert this year. I want shares of Luis Robert. I think he has potential to be a first-round pick this time next year. The problem is we've done other position previews, and we've talked about position scarcity like when it comes to third base, for example. But, I mean, okay, so there's that example. Like, you have to choose... As much as I like Luis Robert, do I pass on the opportunity to draft a Rafael Devers or a Manny Machado? I mean, another example is in, you know, let's say the fifth or sixth round, you want to take a catcher in a two-catcher league because you know that that position is pretty scarce as well. Do you maybe gravitate towards taking one of those over an outfielder because you know that outfield is is deeper just in terms of, you know, how many players actually play the position and how much talent there is there? What would you say to something like that? I think the, the third base versus outfield example is probably a better one. Yeah, I mean, the catcher one's always really hard because the player you're drafting and you're you're considering besides the catcher in almost every part of the draft, the non-catcher is probably going to be the better player by a a decent amount. You know, that that, like you look at like J.D. Martinez versus Tyler O'Neill. 
you know, I'm not a huge believer in Tyler O'Neill, but take out the positions and you, you would expect to get better production from Tyler O'Neill, even if you're not a believer in him. Um, and that's probably true later in the draft too. So you always have to make that decision of where is the edge that I can get from targeting one position versus another greater. Um, that being said, I, I generally, I'm less interested in positional scarcity. And, you know, as we talked about in the third base preview last week, I, I do think there are points in the draft where taking that third baseman early does require you, I think, to take, you know, a worse player if you want the, the scarcer position. I wrote about this a little bit um, last week on Friday. And I generally think you, you're probably better just taking the better player or the player that you think is better. And like, you know, if it's a coin flip, if you think it's really, really close between two guys, okay, fine. Position scarcity can make a difference. But if it's Mookie Betts or Rafael Devers, I'm very confident I know who I think the better player is. And so the fact that one has a 3B next to his name and one has an OF, I'm just going to take the guy that I think is a lot better. And that's Mookie Betts. I hear where you're coming from. I think we could probably do a podcast on, on this over the next, you know, coming weeks, you know, next month or so, but player combos, right? And basically asking yourself, mm -hmm. you know, do I want something like Luis Robert and Alex Bregman versus, uh, you know, whoever, Rafael Devers and JD Martinez, something like that, basically. And, yeah, and, and asking yourself, is it worth it? Because, you know, you can get a better outfielder later on in the draft, I guess, depending on how you feel about Alex Bregman. Uh, versus, it all comes, go ahead. you know, it all comes down to like opportunity cost and, I think the part for me that, that I struggle with, and this is a little bit that I wrote about on Friday, is that this might be, like we talked about on third base, where we're overreacting to a one-year trend of third base being so bad. And do I believe my ability to project which position is going to be better, you know, in, in a full season than the other and, and all those things? And, you know, I just, I think generally speaking, I'm more willing to just take the guy I think is better. But yeah, there is opportunity cost, especially at outfield, because you do have three spots and because it does tend to be a position where like the best player available often feels like it's an outfielder. And so I definitely do find myself hitting a point in like round nine where all of a sudden I don't really have any outfielder spots left. And then the next six rounds go by. I'm like, man, wish I could take an outfielder. <laughs> wish I could, you know, wish I could take the best player. And so that is something that you run into as well, is that, you know, I find that often the best player available is an outfielder. Mm, interesting. I think that will differ in, in that way, Chris, because I feel like once you get past the top 180p, the talent at outfield to me, it just, it, it does fall off quite a bit. I mean, once you get past Mitch Hanniger and Brian Reynolds, and, you know, if you want to take a shot on a Bellinger or Giancarlo Stanton, I feel like it falls yeah. off. But obviously we'll talk yeah, about that. There's a drop off there around yeah. 30. But there, there's a drop-off at every position. Sure. Usually it's around 10 instead of around 30. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's jump into some ADP analysis. Again, on today's podcast, we'll try and get through the top 20 or so in ADP. And then on tomorrow's podcast, we'll do sleepers, breakouts, and busts. And of course, we'll hit you know 30 through 50, 60, however many outfielders uh, we can get through tomorrow. And then on to starting pitchers after that. We spoke about Fernando Tatis on the shortstop preview, but he also has outfield eligibility this upcoming season. Scott, what are your thoughts on Tatis versus Juan Soto? They're very close in ADP right now. Obviously, we spoke about Tatis versus Trey Turner on that uh, on both the second base and the shortstop preview. Tatis has an ADP of 1.2. Juan Soto has an ADP of 2.8. Is it 
just a league-specific kind of thing, Roto versus head-to-head points? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that plays a big part in it. These are actually my number one pick in each of those formats. Tatis in the Roto League, the 5x5 five five Categories League, he's number one because there's no other player, excluding Acuna, who you know probably won't be there on opening day, there's no other player who can match Tatis's combo of home runs and stolen bases, and obviously that's... Those counting stats, um, getting that kind of combo, that's always been the dream in Roto, right? But then Soto, there's nobody who can match his plate discipline, his strikeout-to-walk ratio, and obviously that elevates him in points leagues in a way he doesn't get credit for in Roto leagues. So if you got a top-five pick in Roto, and then his best aspect is something he doesn't even get credit for, you can understand wanting him first overall in, in that points league format. Uh, which isn't to say Tatis is, you know, I think I have Tatis third. In points leagues, you could have him second. You yeah. could have him first if you want to. But sure. I'd rather have Soto because obviously Tatis, with the concerns about his shoulder, I I, I don't think I don't think Tatis dis- distances himself enough from Soto uh, in that format, in the points format, for me to to have him ahead of Soto. Just how good is Juan Soto? We heard recently a report that he was offered a 13-year, 350 million dollar contract extension by the Washington Nationals. And basically, the baseball industry, the fantasy baseball industry, we all just scoffed at it. That's how good Juan Soto is, especially at his age. I mean, he's on a Hall of Fame track. Hopefully, he can keep it up. That would be amazing, obviously, for the next uh, decade plus. Only 23 years old, got off to a rough start last year. The first two months, uh, he was dealing with a sprained left shoulder. He actually landed on the IL for about the minimum stay. But from June 1st on... 329 batting average, 25 homers, a 1078 OPS, eight steals in 111 games for Juan Soto. That's a 33 homer, 10 steal pace for what would likely be one of the best batting averages in the league if he can maintain that you know near th- uh, 330 mark. Scott, you mentioned the plate discipline, 22% walk rate last year, 465 OBP. That led baseball, both of those it, marks. And it was over 500 in the second half. It's crazy. I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say Juan Soto is the best on-base guy we've seen since Barry Bonds. And, of course, there have been some great ones, Joey Votto, Mike Trout. Yep. But I, I think Soto is even better than them. I will say, like, talking exclusively about those 5x5 five five leagues, there's a chance he might underwhelm as a top five pick. The home run production relative to other first rounders uh, hasn't hasn't really measured up, except in the shortened 2020 season, which obviously you're talking about a small sample. He has a tendency to put the ball on the ground. Now, I I think it's likely we haven't seen his best yet, and that there's more to come with, for the power, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, if, if he ends up with 29 home runs again uh, for where he's going, that's that's going to be a disappointment in, in those categories, leagues where you don't get the credit for the OBP. It would be disappointing from a power and, perspective, but... And it, he's not much, like, there was a time when we thought, oh, maybe he's going to be a pretty good base stealer. He was 9 for 16 last year. I mean, I, I think that's going to continue to go down. I, I wouldn't really... I wouldn't really count on him for stolen bases. Definitely batting average. Definitely the runs and the RBI. Power... I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I'm just well, saying. And even even the batting average, like he might be, you know, top five in batting average, but he's less helpful there in a roto league than you. Sure. You would think for a guy who's probably going to hit three ten because right. he walks so much yeah. that right. You know, yeah, even bat, in six hundred fifty four, end up being yeah. low. Yeah. 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 So you get fewer 
opportunities for that for those hits for for that batting average to impact your overall uh, batting average score for the for a specifically a roto league. So I I was actually the last thing I wrote. I don't think it's up on the site yet. I think it'll be up early this week. Uh, but I was doing kind of the um, the reasons for and reasons against taking every first rounder, and I was kind of surprised how long the reasons against. Soto were because you know obviously he's this incredible talent and everybody always wants him in fantasy. But again, talking specifically about categories leagues, five by five leagues, roto leagues, whatever, he he does need to take a step forward to live up to his ADP. I don't know if I agree with that, Scott. I mean, if he hits if he hits well over three hundred with thirty home runs on the nose, with two hundred plus runs in RBI and ten steals. I think he's worth the top oh, five. Oh, great! You know yeah. who else does that? Freddie Freeman. He's yeah. not going. He's not going as a top five pick. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, um, look, I, there's very few ways it's going to go wrong for Juan Soto. And as we saw in the shortened season, even though it's only 47 games, it's a tiny sample size. Like, it is entirely possible that he has a positive variant season. And given that his baseline on home run to fly ball ratio is so high, I mean, you're probably talking about like. 25% should be your expectation for Juan Soto when it comes to home run to fly ball ratio that even though he doesn't hit a ton of fly balls, he could have one of those seasons where he gets the the positive variance like we saw in 2020. And in which case you're probably talking about 45 homer upside with mm-hmm. 250 runs in RBI. Yeah. Like that's legitimately within the realm of possibility, I, I, even in a bad lineup. I, I hope I expressed that that there is a level of upside that we haven't seen yet from Soto. And I'm not saying he should go as late as Freddie Freeman. I'm just saying, I think I'd rather have Vladimir Guerrero just based on what we've seen from them so far. This next group of four is awesome. At the end of the first round, uh, it just comes down to your preference and your risk tolerance. So Bryce Harper goes at an ADP of 8.0, Ronald Acuna at ADP 9.2, Mike Trout at 11.8, and Mookie Betts at 12.2. I should have mentioned this is Fantasy Pros ADP as well. It's a culmination of five different sources, CBS Sports, Yahoo, RT Sports, NFBC, and Fantrax ADP as well. Uh, Chris, does Bryce Harper deserve to go first of this group. Again, Harper, Acuna, Mike Trout, and Mookie Betts. And that's regardless of format. So points and categories. Uh, there's there's no way to answer that. Like it, I can't, look, I can't tell you what your personal level of risk tolerance should be. And that's ultimately what this whole thing comes down to because I don't think Bryce Harper is the best player of this four. In, in a best case scenario, I think he's probably the fourth best player between... Harper, Acuna, Trout, and Betts. Like the the best case scenario for all four of them, I think Harper's is probably not as good. But he does have the fewest question marks as far as his health right now entering the 2022 season. And if that's something that you really are concerned about, then I I think taking Bryce Harper first there is perfectly fine because he's awesome. I mean, you you look at what he's done. Like the, the batting average, he's probably being pushed up a little too much for what is probably going to be a batting average he can't sustain, and he's another guy who walks so much that even if he does hit closer to 300, it's not going to be as impactful as you would otherwise hope, but he's good at everything. You know, he's he's very, very good at everything. He may not be great at power like Mike Trout or batting average, you know, in the way that Juan Soto is or, or some of the other guys, or you know, Ronald Acuna's obvious five-by-five five, five upside, but he's so good at everything, there's very little downside and he has the least apparent injury risk entering the season. So 
Uh, he's perfectly fine there, yeah. Perfectly fine. I think that's a good way to describe the National League MVP. He was awesome last year. 309 batting average, 35 home runs, 101 runs scored, 84 RBI, and 13 steals. He's now provided thir- uh, 13 plus steals in each of his last three full seasons. Again, that is Bryce Harper. So it gives you modest speed. He's not a zero in the category. He'll give you some kind of 10 to 15 range. Uh, at least I-, I trust him to do that. And According to StatCast, multiple measurements say that this might actually be the best version of Bryce Harper that we've ever seen, even dating back to his previous MVP season. Barrel rate, average exit velocity, expected batting average, expected slug, uh, those were all the highest in the StatCast era for Bryce Harper. Scott, what do you think about this next group? Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts. I mean, so much to talk about here. Ronald Acuna has immense upside. There's no doubt about that. You look, his 150 game pace from last year, 43 homers, 131 runs scored, 31 steals. Of course, he's coming back from a torn ACL that he suffered on July 10th, which normally we see a nine to 10 month recovery. And that would bring us to about April or May. And he said in the, in the world series, uh, talking to Alex Bregman that he was targeting a May return. So obviously Mm -hmm. we have that question mark. How much is he going to run when he first returns? What do you think about that next group here? Acuna versus Trout versus Betts. I don't see myself drafting much of Acuna if, if he's still going in the first round. I could see taking that shot on him in round like middle round two after, well, I don't know, middle somewhere after Kyle Tucker goes. Middle of round two. I, I could see doing it then, but yeah, I mean, Acuna himself, last we heard, is only aiming for May. I mean, you'd, you'd think the player himself would be setting the most aggressive timetable for wanting to return. Seems like every time we see a video of him hitting or something on on Twitter, everybody starts losing their minds. But like that's not that's not really the thing to worry about. It's making all the cuts that he needs to make in the outfield, playing in games, you know. And if the timetable is May, that means we're not going to see him in any spring training games. And I like I'm just not going to feel comfortable he's where he needs to be until I see him playing in an actual game. You know, May May could be the mo- the optimistic timetable. If it's June, he's missing a third of the season instead of a sixth, you know, and and then and then how much does it need to be pushed back? We're talking half the season he ends up missing. Like it just it just seems like way too big of a risk to me. This is where the lack of spring training really hurts. Because right now we would be getting updates on Ronald Acuna's house. We'd be getting updates, yeah. But even then, I'm I I'm I stand by like I need to see him playing in a game. Sure, sure, but we would at least like we would have we would potentially have like a I'm aiming for opening day right now versus right now we right. just have no idea. No idea. Yeah, no that's true. Now the trout thing is interesting because yeah, he's been a little he's had a tendency to get banged up in recent years. He's always been like a I, I don't know, going back to like 2017 or something there's always been like a yep. short IL stint uh that's kept him from playing 150 plus games, but you know, last year was the calf strain. Sounded like a more significant strain when he suffered it in mid-May, but nobody was really thinking like a season-ending injury, and it ended up being a season-ending injury. Like, it's got to be better now, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't understand why so many people are still discounting him because of that injury specifically. I, You know, I said Contel Marte is the most underrated hitter in baseball. It might just be Mike Trout. He yeah. still might just be the best hitter in baseball. Well, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> like that, I that, think there's no reason. There's, it's between him and Soto, right? Yeah, uh, and he has more power than Soto. Hitter. 
with yeah. similar plate discipline. Like he he strikes out. I mean, he struck out more last season, but that was thirty six games. Uh, mm-hmm. But you just look at the one hundred sixty two game pace over the past five seasons. It's a ten seventy two OPS, a three hundred three average, forty eight homers. Like Mike Trout has basically at this point in his career perfected baseball, and there's no sign that like there's been a physical decline even with the injuries, like as long as he's healthy, he's going to be one of the five best players in baseball. Now I can understand it. And he was kind of already trending, losing some value in, in the standard Roto leagues because he's just, he's pretty much given up stealing bases. And, and, you know, I understand given the scarcity of stolen bases, why somebody would be invested in using a first round pick on somebody who steals bases. I think that's overplayed, but I understand why somebody's of that mindset. Uh, but then in points leagues, why does Trout need to slide so much too? I mean, yeah. he shouldn't, Scott. I mean, no. like I, I've been, I, I think I've probably been the pessimist when it comes to Trout, and I would, I would easily use a mid first round pick on him in a points league. If we're just talking about points, I would rank him first of this group, uh, even ahead of Bryce Harper, as great as Harper is, as much as he walks, which obviously lends itself to points leagues, Trout has consistently been better than him on a per-game basis in that format. So as much as I like yeah. Harper, I'm wearing the jersey. I love Bryce Harper. I, w- I would still take Mike Trout ahead of him in that format. Uh, I, I think in a categories league, it, it gets a little bit dicier. I mean, he, you know, Trout has just yeah. three steals over uh, 2020 and 2021 combined. So, you know, that's it's only 89 games, but like, yeah, how much is he going to run now? I mean, only four attempts. Exactly. Right. You know, it might be the more relevant thing. And now he's coming back from a calf injury, too. So, you know, if there's any right. reason not to run, yeah, calf probably seems like a pretty good Yes. Thing. Okay, give up on the running, though. But what else? And what else is there? Like, that's the thing is, even if he doesn't run, okay, he's Vladimir Guerrero. Yeah, he could hit 300, <laughs> you know, 40 like plus is, homers. Last year's Vladimir Guerrero. Yeah, right, right, right. Sure. That's what Vladimir I mean. Vladimir Guerrero may not even be, you yeah. know? Vladimir Guerrero was the top player in Roto Leagues last year, even without running. I mean, right. And like those those other I, stats are valuable too. I get the injury concerns, I get all that, but I don't know. It there's a lot of injury concerns in this range. So you yeah. know, take the guy who's probably the best player. You know, especially like Ronald Coon is probably the best player for Roto. Um, and if we, you know, did have a, a very positive update and a, a sign that he was going to be ready for opening day, then I, I you know, I think that's different. But yeah, no, I think Mike Trout's a great value. Yeah, here's the last thing that I read about Mike Trout. Again, he was diagnosed with that calf strain in mid-May, and he was given a six- to eight-week timeline. So that would have had him returning you know, sometime around mid-July, you know, right after the All-Star break. He did not return at all last season. Uh, I found an article from The Athletic and uh, where Trout said, quote, um, he's close to 100%, if not 100%. And this was late September. So basically they shut him down because they were out of contention. Uh, but right. if he was close to 100% in late September, one has to assume that here in the middle of February, Mike Trout is 100%. I think that's that's pretty fair to say. Now, yep. uh, he's missed 33% of his games since the start of 2017. That's not insignificant. Even if you just take out last year, from 2017 to 2020, he's missed 19% of his games. So roughly... One fifth. I, I think that you have to bake in at least one IL stint when you know projecting and, and what you should expect from Mike Trout this upcoming season. Chris, I've seen you tweeting about Mookie Betts recently, and he is now 29 years old. He played through a bunch of injuries last year. First half, some back, forearm, shoulder stuff. In the second half, he was dealing with this nagging hip injury. He had a cortisone shot for the hip uh, sometime around midseason. 
and uh, you know wound up on the IL two different times in that second half. And there was talk that he might have even needed surgery after the season. Now they've downplayed that. He will not have surgery. He did not have surgery. Uh, but even with the quote-unquote down year for Mookie Betts, he was on pace for over 150 games, 28 home runs, 114 runs scored, and 12 steals. He still averaged 3.5 fantasy points per game. So we haven't talked about him yet, but I think he's worthy of being discussed in this mix. Where does he rank in this group for you from both a points league perspective and a categories perspective? I mean, even with the injury in the second half that he was dealing with, he had a better second half than a first half. He had an 885 OPS in the second half, uh, 10 homers in 43 games, only three steals. And I guess... That's part of why he's dropping is just a concern that he won't run much anymore. He only had 10 steals last season. That was down from, you know, like a 25-ish steal pace in 2020. But that 25-ish steal pace was up from 2019 when we were a little worried that he might not be running as much anymore. So I don't think we know how much Mookie Betts is going to be running, frankly. Um, And so I guess there is some risk there. But I I don't think there's much evidence that this skill set has eroded for Mookie Betts. I still think he's... You know, we, we've done this before back in, what was it, 2017? He had an 803 OPS. The numbers are actually remarkably similar. 803 OPS, 264 average. That one, he didn't miss as much time, but he came back with his best season ever. 346, 1078 OPS. He had a 30-30 season. I'm not saying Mookie Betts is going to do that, but I don't see any reason to downgrade Mookie Betts very much. He's been a pretty much locked-in top five pick for almost a decade now, and now you can get him... Was it 15th on average in NFC drafts and 12th on average at Fantasy Pros ADP? Like, don't overthink it. It's Mookie Betts. I think the ADP is is fine. You're counting on him bouncing back a little bit. I wish wish he had had surgery to remove the bone spur from his hip. Like, that, it's sort of a Tatis situation where, okay, he's having to manage this injury all of last season. It's clearly, or it's not clearly inhibiting his production, but his... Production is down so that it stands to reason that's having an effect. And his sprint speed and his defense were both impacted last year. Yes, his sprint speed was only 53rd percentile last year. Uh, It it had normally been between 75 and 85 percentile. Uh, So you can understand him running less if his his hip isn't feeling right. And if we can blame it all on the hip. So those are some questions that make it understandable why he's now a borderline second rounder as opposed to the early to mid first rounder we've known him to be. But I I do think that's enough of a discount given the track record. I mean, he was still a quality option last year, not didn't perform quite up to the first first round level, but you know, you're, you're, you're anticipating some ability to rebound here. Yeah, uh, I agree with you guys in terms of what we're expecting on the base paths as well. He went 10 for 15. The sprint speed was down, as you mentioned, likely affected because of the hip. So I think in terms of expectation for Mookie Betts, probably something similar to Bryce Harper, you know, 12, 13 steals and anything more that he gives you than that. I think that you'd be pretty excited with Chris. Uh, but I, I do think there's a much better chance of 25. From Mookie than from yeah. Bryce Harper. One hundred percent. I'm just talking uh, about Harper's like gonna out homer him and all like yeah, sure. So I'm just talking like there. median projection here. So like yeah. what's the most likely outcome this upcoming season? Chris, let's say that you have the wheel pick at the end of the first round. Would you be okay taking Trout and Mookie bets? Or is that too much and being overly invested in the outfield early? I, I'd be fine with it, yeah. I, I don't I don't think there's I don't think like 
you might just go eight picks without taking another outfielder or the best player available in the third round might be an outfielder in a five outfielder league. I'm much less likely to worry about that because again, you, unless it's a tiebreaker, I'm not that worried about my positions yet. You know, like if Mookie Betts and Mike Trout are, are the best players on my board. Yeah, I'll take them. I, I, I do want to just to help contextualize this. And I know his ADP is lower, but personally, if I'm at the end, I'm taking Freeman over bets, personally. I just feel like there's less that can go wrong there. So that's kind of where I am with bets. Now, I still have him as a 13th player in Roto Leagues. So, yep. you know, yep. he's. it's more that I guess I'm higher on Freeman because of the um, the security he provides than, than the consensus is. But, yeah, I do, yeah. I do, I do have uh, – I, I do want that security from a first, second-round pick, uh, and I'm willing to sacrifice a little of bets upside for it. 1,000%. I'm with you. I, I want to feel safe about my early round picks, and I think that's exactly why Bryce Harper is going ahead of all the other names that we talked about, because at this point, we feel the safest about Bryce Harper. Let's get to the... That is kind of funny, though, right? Yeah, yeah right. That we're there <laughs> with Bryce Harper. And and also, it's, it's worth it's, pointing out, like last season was a little bit of an outlier for Bryce Harper. Well, like, except if you look at the stack has data, because the, the jump really happened in 2020. Yeah. Where he right, became. right. But I mean, just in terms of the production, like, yeah, he's been really good and he's been an awesome fantasy option. But the biggest difference between last season and the, the previous years in terms of his production is the 40 points of batting average. And we know that is the most right. fickle right. of any category, even, you know, among pitchers. So that right. is I, I'm just saying 2020 yeah. says he should have hit over 300. Sure, sure, sure. And, and, yeah. and no other season was like that other than his first season, the, the the MVP 2015 season. So like everything, like he, his barrel rate went up, his strikeout mm-hmm. rate went down and it maintained last year. And over the full season, we got the line stack Cassetti should have. Yep. Uh, all right. Yeah. I look, all the underlying numbers basically support uh, what Bryce Harper did last year. He just needs to maintain crushing the ball uh, as, as much as he did. Next up, we have two young studs in the second round with Kyle Tucker at pick 14.8 and Luis Robert at pick 19.6. Kyle Tucker got off to that slow start. And Scott, I remember last year we were telling everybody buy low, buy low on Kyle Tucker. Or if you have him, be patient because the underlying numbers said that he was going to come around. And what happened? The end of the season numbers, 294 batting average, 30 homers, 83 runs scored, 92 RBI, 14 steals. So f- true five-category production, Scott. And I think the counting stats could be even better if Kyle Tucker moves up in the lineup. Now, I'm not sure that that's going to happen for sure. I don't think Carlos mm-hmm. Correa is going to return for the Houston Astros. But as of now... Roster Resource has Michael Brantley still batting second. They have Jordan Alvarez batting cleanup. And if they're going left, you know, right, left, right, left throughout the lineup, that would keep Kyle Tucker batting sixth, which obviously uh, does affect the counting stats. So what do you think about Tucker? And specifically in this range, Tucker versus Luis Robert? Tucker is great. He legitimately became great last year after being good the year before. Strikeout rate was down. He, he evened out his performance against lefties and righties. Like he, he his, his, Pure hit ability really stands out now in a way it didn't before. We knew he had that power-speed combo, but he, he's added that to the equation. And I think it rightfully has him in the first-round discussion. Having said that, he strikes me as another guy who's being elevated a little too much for what's only what only figures to be a, a moderate steals contribution, if that. 
because he stole 14 bases last year, a useful number. If you if if you could guarantee me another 15 or so again this year, okay, okay, I'm with you. But he's not very fast, 60 percentile sprint speed last year. He obviously has a a middle of the order presence for the Astros. He's 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 the sort of guy who particularly you know, this was his first full season and he only got 14 steals, that number could dwindle down to nothing very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so he's the one, even more than Betts, that I'm like, I don't know that we really need to be taking Kyle Tucker ahead of Freddie Freeman. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I am with that. I, I think he's great, but, you know, you, 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 actually, you, you plug his actual, what he actually produced last year into the Roto formula, he produced like a third rounder. And, and and I'm saying he might not even get those 14 steals again. Maybe he makes up for it in other areas, but still, he was only he only performed like a third rounder last year, and now he's the slam dunk first rounder. I'm just not sure that adds up for me. It is interesting the way we talk about something like Kyle Tucker's speed versus Juan Soto's. They both attempted 16 steals last season. Kyle Tucker went 14 for two or 14 and two. Juan Soto yeah. went nine and seven. Their sprint speed is very similar. Uh, Juan Soto's 52nd, 52nd percentile. Kyle Tucker 60th, so better, but not remarkably so. And Juan Soto went 12 for one on steals in 2019. He went six, 12 and one. He went six and eight, six. We need to standardize it. Six, four, eight in 2020. Uh, and then nine for 16 in 2021. Kyle Tucker very easily could go eight for 14 in 2022 and then we're talking about it well he's not really going to give you any stolen bases and that's probably more likely than him going 14 for 16 again yeah i agree with that chris but is there something to be said for efficiency on the base pass because in his major league career he's played 248 games he's 28 for 32 you look at his last two minor league seasons as well this is kyle tucker we're talking about he went 30 for 35 in 2019 he went 20 for 24 in 2018. So his last three full seasons that he's played, majors and minors, he's been incredibly efficient on the base pads. I don't, I personally, I don't know if that's something that's sticky year over year, but the fact that he's done it this well, dating back to 2018, regardless of level, I, I kind of think that it's a skill that Kyle Tucker actually possesses. Maybe he's a pretty judicious base stealer. And so that probably helps. And, you know, the 30 for 35 in, in 2019 at AAA especially is very impressive, although it's the minors and pretty much everybody's efficient as a base sealer. So it's more it's more concerning when you're really inefficient, mm-hmm. like once then like Wander Franco, than it is impressive mm-hmm. when you're efficient, I think um, just the level of play. But, you know, I would also point out like Juan Soto was 23 for 28 before last season in his career. So yeah. it's it's the kind of thing where. That could be a skill that Kyle Tucker has. He could just be a really efficient base stealer, but even so, like the best base stealers year over year are probably not much better than 80 or 82%. And you're talking about him being at 92% or something last season. Like it's really, it's just really hard to do what he did. And so it's more highlighting mm. the fact that the volume isn't that great for yeah. Kyle Tucker, that yes. he and, has and, to and, be really, really efficient. And the efficiency is. One concern, can he maintain that extreme efficiency? But the other he might want to stress is just, will he run as much? Yeah. Because it wasn't that much, and they don't really need him to. 
that like that just exposes him to risk. It exposes the team to risk when he's on base and risks making it out at second base. Like that's just generally speaking in the modern game, middle or middle of the order hitters stop running at some point in their careers. General, I mean, we've seen it with Trout. I mean, it, I, look, I feel you could say it for anyone who's projected for like 10 to 15 seals, right? It can yeah. as easily go to zero. You know, obviously for some guys like Mookie Betts, if he bounces back and he's fully healthy, he's more likely to steal 20 or 25 than, you know, any of the names in this range. Um, but yeah, look, it's pretty hard to to project steals in, in that like early teens range. Yeah. They can uh, just just as easily go away. And I think something could similar could probably be said for Luis Robert, uh, who, you know, stole six bases over 68 games last year. And he has 15 steals over his first 124 career games too. I think the speed for him throughout the minors uh, has been better. And overall, I mean, he's just, he's a faster player. Like he's another one of these freaks that like hits the ball extremely hard and, and is pretty damn fast as well. The ADP for Luis Robert is here at 19.6 and I want to be all about it. I want to draft as much Luis Robert as I possibly can. I mean, this is a 24-year-old p- player who improved dramatically across the board. Now, how much of those uh, things that he improved upon will carry over into the following season? I-, I think that that's a fair concern. But, Scott, we're talking about someone who had immense prospect pedigree, and now he's just kind of coming into his own in one of the best lineups in baseball. What do you think about this cost in the mid to late second round range for Luis Robert? I think of all the players going in that range, he's the most likely to perform like a first rounder. So I, I'm fine with it. Uh, is is I mean, there was such an extreme improvement in strikeout rate going from 32.2 as a rookie to 20.6. Is he going to settle into some mid-range between those two, which you know, would, would impact his batting average potential. It's possible, but you know, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm just excited that like, this isn't going to be something that sinks him. Cause that was, that's what I was worried about at this time last year. He's going to be able to get to those tools. And, um, you know, his, his backup was through the roof. He had 338. He's not going to hit 338, but if he hits 280 to 290 with that kind of power and speed, yeah, no, I, I'll take it. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely whatever, whatever to whatever extent you could call it a gamble. I think it's one well worth taking in the second half of round two. Chris, I think a fair comp for Luis Roberts' upside is a is what we saw from Bo Bichette last year: two eighty plus batting average, thirty plus homers, twenty plus steals. Doesn't walk all that much, so he's going to be one of these players that typically has a lower OPS, but just watching him play, you you realize that he's an outlier just in terms of like his physical abilities, what he can do on the baseball field. I think we still have some concerns over whether or not he can stay healthy over a full season. He dealt with that hip flexor strain, which limited him to just 68 games. What do you think about the cost, the late second round? I, I brought this up earlier. Would you take him over those elite third basemen, someone like Rafael Devers or, or Manny Machado, if you have that decision? Uh, I think that's a really interesting discussion. I would rather have Devers and Machado than Robert. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around how you actually pronounce his last name because there does seem to be some confusion about Rob oh Bear. My, I oh think. my gosh. I asked, this on, is, is, I asked this on Twitter, yeah. Chris, and it's like I, I got a different answer from everybody. So for the past couple of years, the White Sox broadcast has pronounced it Luis Robert. And mm-hmm. Jason Bonetti has tweeted out himself that Luis Robert, that's how I, he prefers it to be called. And then there was like an interview came out that, you know, Luis Robert said it differently in that interview. So I don't yeah, know. I, I, it's yeah, it, 
it's just something that trips me up. But <laughs> there's, yeah, like last season, if the improvements that he made last season stick, then there's no question about it. He has first round upside and and could be one of the best players in fantasy and and all that. It's really hard to be as good as Luis Robert Robert looked last season <laughs> with the plate discipline he had. <laughs> like even cutting the strikeout rate to 20.6%, he actually almost halved his walk rate. So it's, if he can keep making contact while being this aggressive, then it's, you know, not going to be that big of a concern, especially because good things are going to happen when he makes contact. And he does seem like the kind of guy who should, like you said, uh, Frank, have outlier production in terms of BABIP and, you know, potentially home run to fly ball ratio, which is not something that we've seen from him so far. He's actually only at 17.6%. So yeah, there's a, a ton of upside. He's also a weird player in that he has like 1,400 plate appearances as a professional in like a, what, six-year career now, I think. And so it's it's also, we have a small sample size at the major league level. We have a small sample size overall. He's still very much, you know, figuring out what kind of player he's going to be. And I, I think the, the baseline is incredibly exciting. But I'm, I guess, a little bit less likely to take him in the middle of the first or the second round or beginning of the second in a 15-teamer. Yeah, I in a categories league, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I would take Luis Robert over the third baseman as much I as too. I want Machado or Rafael Devers on my team. Now, in a categories, uh, in a points league, different. Yep. I, I think you push him down a little bit. Again, he's not going to walk as much. I think maybe the strikeouts mm-hmm. you know, go the other way. You know, I think he's probably more of like a 20 to 25 percent strikeout rate than this. You know, someone who lives in the 20 percent strikeout range. So lower him a little bit in a points league, but in category, Scott, I, I think I would take Robert ahead of the. Yeah, I agree. Basement. And I'm the I'm one the thing one. I would put out there about the Bobachette comp is. This White Sox lineup isn't going to turn over as much as the Blue Jays one did last season because they have so few high on. No, they just <laughs> they're just they have so few high on base percentage guys. I, yeah, and the Blue Jays it. had a lot, I and so it. that's going to be one difference. Is that I don't yeah. think the non home run, non stolen base counting stats can really be like you know what was 120 plus runs for Bobichet. Like I, I don't think yeah. Luis Rob, Robert is capable of that. I that, do. That's think. the one place I do think you might be looking more at like 90 90. And, and, but Robert, I, I do think is a, like his power ceiling is high. Yes. Ambition. Yes. Yep. That's uh, that's fair to say. Scott, you were going to say you, you would take Robert over the third baseman as well, right? I would. Yep, I would. And I'm, I'm the one who's who's emphasizing the position air, scarcity aspect of third base. So, you know, that's the way it is. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
There are three outfielders going in the early to mid-third round range. Starling Marte, who is now with the New York Mets, his ADP is 25.2. Yordan Alvarez at 26.4. And Aaron Judge at 31.2. Chris, we'll start with you this time. Uh, Starling Marte, again, moves over to the Mets. I personally expect this Mets lineup to be much more improved, hoping for a bounce back from Francisco Lindor. Pete Alonso should be awesome. They bring in Mark Hanna. They bring in Eduardo Escobar. So lengthening out the lineup a little bit more there as well. Uh, what do you think about this price tag for Marte? Now, 25.2 this time last year. That was 51.7. More so in a categories league, are you okay using an early to mid third round pick on Starling Marte? I'm expecting to this Met this Mets lineup to be better than last season. Those are those are famous last words that I've probably uttered four or five years in a row. One hundred percent. I think I've been too high on the Mets every year for like the past half decade. So that's always a concern. And and Starling Marte is a a concerning player because the hit tool is not nearly as good as basically anybody being drafted around him. So you're relying on a 33 year old to maintain an incredibly high volume of stolen bases. He's you know, I guess the good news is he's technically switching leagues, but he played in the American in the National League East for the previous year, so it's not actually that big of a concern. And you know, the underlying skill set doesn't seem to have declined much. So even though you would expect some decline at this point in his career, we haven't really seen it yet. There's a risk there, and it's certainly pushing uh, stolen bases way, way up in order to take Stalin Marte where he is, but. He's been consistently worth that for a while. You know, he's been consistently a very valuable player who's probably been underrated in drafts. And so if he's a little tiny, small amount overrated right now, I think that's okay. Chris, I will push back a little bit on the hit tool because I'm expecting him to be a batting average contributor. Not going to give you much in terms of power. Maybe it's 15 home runs, whatever it is. Right. I, I meant like just as a hitter. Okay. You know, yeah, rather not fair. specifically batting average, but just like he's probably the worst hitter being drafted in this range or, you know, him or Whit Merrifield or someone like that, you know. For sure, yeah. 797 career OPS for Starling Marte. He's not going to rank up there with even the the other players we're going to talk about here, Jordan Alvarez and Aaron Judge, just from a pure hitter perspective. But what he provides is very, very helpful in a categories league. Batting average and steals, you want to get those things early on so that you could take some of those sluggers in the middle to late rounds that are obviously going to hurt your batting average. But uh, Starling Marte, I'll point out, he's good for at least one IL stint per season. He's averaged 142 games played in his seven full seasons. Even with that, he has finished as a top 30 overall player in each of his last three full seasons in Roto. So 2021, 2019, and 2018. He's been a top 30 player. The ADP is 25. I think it's fair. I think he's very fairly priced if you want batting average and speed early on in your drafts. Scott, I think Jordan Alvarez versus Aaron Judge is a very close call. Very similar skill sets. They both have somewhat injury concerns. Look, Jordan Alvarez was healthy last year, but we know before that he had the dual knee surgery. Uh, and obviously Aaron Judge, you know, he's dealt with a bunch of little like nagging muscle type injuries over his career. Uh, but both guys managed to stay healthy last season. They both play in great lineups uh, and I think they have huge upside. However, they don't provide any steals if that's what you're looking for in this range. What do you think about Alvarez versus Judge? Well, I do have them ranked consecutively, so I don't have a strong opinion. I have Judge ahead. I have Judge ahead because I feel like he's he he, he actually did take a noticeable step forward as a hitter last year, cut his strikeout rate down to 25%. Remember when he was first breaking in, 
that would have been like a dream scenario because he was striking out a third at the time and and still managing to hit over 50 home runs. You know, if he's going to be a 25% strikeout rate, we, we don't need to talk about his strikeouts anymore. That's just not, not something that we need to worry about. Um, his XBA last year was 308, 99th percentile for a guy who we mostly think of as a power hitter. And, and a terrific power hitter, by the way. Like It's between him and Giancarlo Stanton who hits the ball harder, hardest in baseball. I mean, 95.8 mile per hour average exit velocity is bananas. Yes. Ridiculous. Yes. And, he, and he does it every year. So because of that, it's a, a little underwhelming that he only hit 39 home runs last year. So that just goes to show you the kind of skill set the kind of the kind of talent level we're we're dealing with here in Judge, it's you know, it's a major question though, if that you know big body weird? can stay on the field for a hundred, anywhere close to one hundred sixty-two games. You know what's weird? Yep. What? He was one of the biggest overperformers by expected home runs last season. Interesting. Overperformers, Aaron Judge. That's so. His expected home runs were only thirty-one last season. It's that's weird. That is. Weird. It's that it's is weird. it's partially because. As weird as it is for a guy who hits the ball as hard as he does, he does benefit a little bit from the short porch in, in right field at Yankee Stadium because he hits mm-hmm. so many of his home runs the opposite way. And uh, he's not, you know, that he's not Nolan Arenado. He's not pulling it. Like if, if Aaron Judge hit the ball as hard as he did and pulled the ball down the line every time, he might hit 85 homers. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, his, his kind of all fields approach may may have cost the weird thing is it's like it may have cost him some home runs last season but obviously I don't think that's actually a concern like I think he's going to be an elite source of power for as long as he's active anyway um I just thought that was interesting yeah no it actually makes sense now that you talk it through because if you look at Aaron Judge's career he's he's really not a traditional power hitter he doesn't hit that many fly balls. He actually hits a lot of line drives. He's more of just a pure hitter than he is a power hitter. It's just the fact that he hits the ball as hard as he does and he goes to all fields. And, you know, when you hit the ball that hard, you, you could just, you could get it over the fence in Yankee Stadium. So uh, it's a fair point on Aaron Judge. But also, if you're someone who subscribes to like the contract year theory, he is entering a contract year. You know, he's talked about wanting an extension before the season starts. Obviously, there's still some time to make that happen once the lockout ends. But if they don't get it done before the season, he's playing for a contract. So and we, we've seen the upside be 50-plus home runs for Aaron Judge. Uh, Chris, real quickly, just some thoughts on Yordan Alvarez. Who would you rather have between the two, Alvarez versus Judge? Judge, but again, it's a very, very slight difference. Um, Yordan Alvarez is you know, potentially going to be one of the best power hitters you know, in the game as well. So I don't think there's any anything wrong with taking him where he is and similar to Aaron judge. He just crushes the ball all over the field. Yeah. Like his, it's actually kind of incredible how, if you look at his spray chart, his home runs are just like, there's no pattern. It's just all the way across the field. I feel infinitely more confident in Yordan Alvarez's ability to stay healthy this year, just because he did it last year and he played 41 games in the outfield And Mm -hmm. he actually legged out two triples in the postseason. I remember it so vividly, too, because I'm like, Yordan Alvarez is hitting triples and he's like running around the bases and he looks comfortable doing so. So, look, he's still. His knees are fine. That's just a nod. Good sign. Yeah. Hopefully. He turns 25 years old in June. So, obviously, still young, entering the prime of his career. uh, and, And just based on his approach, how hard he hits it, line drive rate goes to all fields, I would expect a better batting average than 277. I think. 
there's a real chance that he's pushing a 300 batting average. Jordan Alvarez, that is. Uh, three more at the end of the third round in the early fourth round range. Whit Merrifield at pick 35, Teoscar Hernandez at pick 36.8, and Cedric Mullins at pick 38. And Scott, I think there's something for every style drafter here. If you just want more speed than anything else, Whit Merrifield. I think probably has the highest upside in that department. Teoscar Hernandez, he gives you a little bit more pop than these guys. Hold on, let me reframe that. Not a little bit more, uh, a good amount more. Maybe not than Cedric Mullins, but definitely more than Whit Merrifield. He gives you some modest speed. Uh, and then Cedric Mullins, theoretically, gives you the best of both worlds, some some pop and some speed as well. Uh, what do you think about these three, and are you actively targeting any of them? Whit Merrifield, Teoscar Hernandez, Cedric Mullins. I think Cedric Mullins is too low here. I think that's the... the, the that's the biggest thing I could say. I actually have Cedric Mullins ahead of of uh, Starling Marte even. Because I don't really have too many concerns about him sustaining what he, what he broke through with last year. I think the batting average was the most questionable aspect. And it did drop to more like the 260 range in the second half. But the home run and steals production remained just as strong as the first half, even with that drop in batting average. And... Um, you know, for all the changes, we worry about the changes happening at Camden Yards. They're happening to the other fence, not the one Cedric Mullins hit all his home runs over. So that shouldn't really even be a factor for him. Uh, and and I like taking him early in round three. Like I'm I'm the I, I'm the being I, I'm the guy who who um, preaches being intentionally unintentional about stolen bases is and not elevating guys for their steals potential. But I don't think I am in Mullen's case. Like he was the only 30-30 guy last year. You know, if if we were drafting him according to last year's numbers, he'd be going in the first round. So, you know, I'll I'll take him early in round three. Yeah, you mentioned the only 30-30 player. Again, that's 30 home runs, 30 steals. And even more impressive after we found out the fact that he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in November of 2020, he wasn't sure how his body would hold up last season. Lo and behold, he goes out and does what he does and has just a completely ridiculous season, uh, finishing as the 20th overall player in Roto. I I assume the diagnosis helped him. You know, in addition, we've we've talked a lot about how he dropped switch hitting and and just hit from the left side where he was always better. But, you know, if he, he knew how to, if he had the ability to treat his condition... Uh, you know, maybe that helps explain why he had this breakout season too. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Chris, I, I am the pessimist on on Cedric Mullins. I have concerns over the expected stats. I mean, he severely overperformed those last year. He hit 291 with a 518 slug. That's a 272 XBA and a 442 expected slug. His home run to fly ball ratio was uh, much higher than it's ever been before. And you look at his average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives, he ranked 102nd among qualified hitters in that department. And he regressed in the second half. Scott spoke about it a little bit, but an 822 Just OPS. Batting. Just in the batting average. I mean, 822 OPS, that's, you know, it's an okay it pretty hitter. much all in the batting average, though, right? Uh, yeah, like, I don't, I don't think the walk rate or anything like that dropped off uh, all right. that much. But the, so give him a 260 batting average instead of 291. Yeah, he hit a lot of infield fly balls, too. I mean, 17% in the second half, that more than doubled, and it's something he struggled with quite a bit in the minors. Those are automatic outs, so I, I think the, I, the thing... I, I worry about him, Chris. I'm not using a third or even an early fourth-round pick on Cedric Mullins myself. I think the thing about it would just be, the, the way to phrase it is, he's probably more of a middling hitter than he looked like last last season overall. 
And, you know, I think the underlying numbers back, back that up. Like 344 expected WOBA versus a 372 uh, actual WOBA. 344 is good, but it's not great. You know, it, it's above average. And so if he's more like that, you know, if he's more of a 265, 270 hitter with 23 homers and, and you know, then in that lineup, you know, he, he, he needed 30 homers to get to 59 R- RBI and 90 runs last season. So, like, if it's a 23 homer profile and that lineup is still bad, maybe he's a 80 55 guy and with a 260 average. But the nice thing about guys who contribute in five categories is as long as he's still a good hitter, even if he's not a great one, it's going to be hard for him not to be valuable and not to be very valuable. But, you know, you can't expect him to do what he did last year again, I don't think. The good thing is, as Scott said, you're not, a- you're not asking him to at this price. So I think he's fine. Um, you know, more like a third rounder, but I think he's, he's a, a good player to take a risk on. Even if I'm not buying it entirely, I'm, I'm more in between the two of you, I guess. Uh, Chris, the one that I'm actually most likely to target in this range is Teoscar Hernandez, the 36.8 ADP. He was awesome last year, 296 batting average, 32 homers, 92 runs, 116 RBI, 12, Steals. He finishes the eighth overall player in a roto last season. He lowered the strikeout rate. Uh, and something I noticed career high swing percentage, career high zone swing percentage. So I think that's a good thing, right? Like he's swinging more and he's not chasing pitches. So I, I would imagine swinging more at pitches inside of the zone as hard as Teoscar Hernandez hits the ball in a lineup as good as the Blue Jays. You know, good things are going to happen. So uh, I think the batting average probably comes back a little bit and it's probably just like 10 to 12 steals, but. In that lineup, I think the counting stats could just be absolutely massive. Yeah, it's it's funny. He he was. I think everyone was right about him last season. He was such a controversial player, and he did end up being a very good player. And also, he wasn't nearly as good as he was, Chris, you know, in the year before. Not everybody was right. Like we were dead wrong about Teoscar Hernandez. Sure, sure, but then <laughs> directionally, at least, if you were skeptical of what Teoscar Hernandez did in 2020, you can at least point to the fact that like he was not as good as he was in 2021 and 2020. Like the expected Woban on contact dropped nearly a hundred points. That's massive, but he did strike out a little bit less, you know, 5% drop, five percentage point drop and strikeout rate can help make up for that. And he's still, while he didn't hit the ball, you know, he looked like in 2020, he hit the ball like an elite player in 2021. He hit the ball like a very good hitter. And if you can do that while, you know, increasing your, or decreasing your strikeout rate, then that's a good way to make up for it. And with the speed and with the lineup. Yeah, I think, the, there's there's much less reason to be skeptical about Teoscar Hernandez right now than there was a year ago for sure. I do like Mullins a little better, but it's not a very big difference in their value. And Teoscar's probably a better hitter, so it might just be that I'm overval you know I'm valuing the the expected 15 stolen bases you know more because Teoscar I might expect him I, he's probably better in everything else. Scott, some quick final thoughts here on Teoscar Hernandez. Are you actually willing to take the plunge and take him at this 3-4 turn? I know, <clears throat> excuse me, he was someone that you were off of last year. Yeah, uh, I mean, the strikeout rate changes everything. All bets, w- when there's a skills change on a player, then my analysis has to change, right? <laughs> like, of course, yeah. His, his profile has changed, so yeah, now he profiles as uh, as more what we saw last year, and and... I'm comfortable taking with him where he's going. All right. Uh, Whit Merrifield, if you want to hear more about him, we spoke about him extensively on our second base position preview. After 
Cedric Mullins at pick 38. We do see a bit of a teardrop here with Randy Rosarena going at ADP 56.2 in the fifth round. So, you know, we're jumping almost 20 picks here. We actually see three outfielders from picks 56 through 59. That's Randy Rosarena, 56.2. George Springer at 58.4. And there's a drive into deep left field by Nick Castellanos. 58.8 is the ADP for one uh, Nick Cassianos, currently a free agent. So we'll see where he winds up. Chris, we'll start with you this time. Randy Rosarena leads the group, and he's a pretty polarizing player because by all metrics that we look at, the plate discipline is not great. He strikes out too much. The expected numbers, according to StatCast, are not great. Uh, He's someone that takes advantage against left-handed pitching, struggles a little bit more against righties, but... All right, it's, it looks like you're going to be out on him. Chris is vociferously <laughs> shaking his head. His, no, he is out his on His underlying Rosa numbers look like a disaster. But Chris, his underlying numbers look like, like he like, his underlying numbers. He's got a 304 expected woba. Like this is the opposite of Teoscar Hernandez. But to me, where, I, I think that Stack has struggles with a player like Randy Rosarena the same way that it struggles with Miguel Cabrera, and for completely opposite reasons. Right, so. Miguel Cabrera, the expected numbers are usually great because he crushes the ball, but he's so slow. I think Randy Rosarena outperforms his expected stats, you know, XBA and all these things, because he's just a freak athlete, and he's extremely fast. If you look at the sprint speed, 90th percentile sprint speed for Randy Rosarena last year. So I understand the skepticism, and I, I'm probably being a little hypocritical. I probably don't want him in a points league in this range. I definitely don't want him in a points league in this range. But his skill set in a categories league... At this point, you know, a 260-plus hitter with 2020, I, I still think that's pretty valuable. I just think there's a chance he's a 240 hitter. That's fair. Yeah. With 15 homers. Um, yeah. Like, that yeah, he's XBA fast. For what it's worth, is 222. Yeah, he's Very bad. fast, but he's not, he's not Ronald Acuna. He's not Trey Turner. I you mean, know, like... 90th percentile is pretty good, Chris. Right, but Trey Turner, I think, is has been like top five, not sure. percentile, but like top five. And he doesn't, like he out- outperforms his ex-WOBA a little bit. You know, 15 points is not nothing, but Randy Rosarena outperforming his ex-WOBA by 15 points would still make him roughly an average hitter. So that's the thing. is He outperformed his ex-WOBA by a considerable amount last season, 46 points. And he did something similar in 2020. So maybe... There's something there, but the sample size is so small. And the minor league track record is not terribly impressive. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't want him at this price flat out. Yeah. No, it's another guy who's elevated by steals too. He had 20 of them last year. I, I don't even know that you can count on him repeating the 20 steals. He was 20 for 30. Like he was. Good point. That that is not normally the kind of steals ratio that allows you to keep running, and I don't know if that's going to change. But you factor that in, like the combination of okay, can I count on him for twenty steals, and can I count on him to hit with even with within even twenty points of his batting last year's batting average, within even fifty points of last year's slugging percentage? Uh, that would still be giving him a lot of credit for uh, just raw athletic ability that StatCast can't measure, Frank. I mean, he outperformed his ex-slug last year by 90 points. He did. He he has this Javier Baez thing going on where it's just his tools allow him to outperform the yeah. underlying numbers. And 
That's typically something that you don't, you probably don't want to bet on. And, you know, Javier Baez has now, he has a much longer track record of being able That's to do that. Right. This, so, was, this was a Rosa Reina's rookie season, technically. Yeah. We did see a fair amount of him in 2020, obviously, especially if you count the postseason. But I, I, I can't bet on him being this big of an exception after one year of it. I can't. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, man, I struggle with a Rosarena because I want to like him in a categories league. I, I think that that profile is pretty valuable, but you guys are right, man. I mean, I, I, I will say I think the floor is pretty damn low for Rosarena. Maybe I'm just holding on to like what we saw in the shortened season and the postseason and, and all this like fun stuff and yeah, just everything that he did that year. I mean, it, it was amazing. Like, there's no doubt about that, but Wait, you know, maybe I'm just holding on to it too much. What's up? You're with the consensus. Maybe we're the weirdos, apparently, according to ADP. I mean, hey, you guys are trusting the numbers, right? And and that's what we're supposed to do. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I will admit 100% yeah. a Rosarena is just, one thing, he's an outlier player. It would be one thing if he was 22. And yep. you could say, ah, but you can project like, yeah, it was his rookie season, but he was, what, 25, 26? He turns so, 27 years old one week from yeah. today. So, happy almost birthday, Randy. So, like, that's, that's <laughs> a, like, he's what, three years older than Juan Soto? That's kind of uh, wild. Yeah, it, it feels weird to say that out loud. I mean, Juan Soto still is only 19 years old, but you know, obviously that's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> he's slightly older than that. Uh, Scott, yeah. let's talk about George Springer and Nick Castellanos. I think uh-huh. somewhat similar-ish profiles. You know, not going to give you much speed. Nick Castellanos theoretically should give you more batting average, but maybe you get more pop out of someone like George Springer. Springer's awesome. It's just, can he stay on the field? Uh, last year, he hit 22 homers with 59 runs scored in only 78 games. He hasn't played more than 122 games since 2018. If you just take out what he did last year, you pace it over 150 games. That's 42 homers, 113 runs scored, seven steals. We could potentially get Marcus Semien-like numbers from George Springer this year if he can yep. just stay on the field, obviously, with less speed. Uh, but, you know, he's getting up there. He's 32 years old, still a huge standout in points leagues, too. So I will point out, like, you know, 58.4 is the ADP. He should probably be a fourth-round pick in points leagues. So personally, and, and if, we're, if we're calculating this for 12-team leagues, I would much rather have Springer, uh, where's he going, round five, round six? Yeah, like right around that five-six turn. Yeah, I, w- I, would, I would much rather have Springer at the five-six turn than Judge or Jordan Alvarez mm-hmm. at the two-three turn. Because I don't think, if you, if you, if you give like they all have health questions, right? I, I mean, Springer was the least healthy of them last year, but they all have similar health concerns. And and so if you give them all the same number of games, I don't think the numbers are going to look that different. Mm-hmm. So I'll take Springer at the discount. I like his value here. Uh, certainly much more than a Rosarena's, as we were saying, but I also like it more than Castellanos, considering we don't know where Castellanos is going. And like Great American Ballpark helped him Quite a bit last year. He hit 359 with 23 home runs there versus 260 with 11 home runs on the road. I'm not saying he's going to be a 260 hitter with a 772 OPS no matter where he signs last year, but I'm saying the park could make a big difference. And I think it's certainly plausible he winds up in a place like where he ends up putting numbers similar to he did during his years with the Tigers, which was, you know, batting average 
around 280, 285, 25 homers or so, an OPS right at 800. Solid numbers, must-start numbers still, but more like a 10th-round pick than a 5th-round pick. I'll be able to say with more certainty when we actually see him sign somewhere, but while it's up in the air, I'd, I'd rather avoid Castellanos at this cost because it doesn't really seem to be factoring that in. I genuinely I jump in? I genuinely feel bad, Chris, just a second, because like last year, yeah. we were all over Castellanos. I realized he was going late, later than he is now, and he was awesome. He did everything we wanted from him, and then some. Uh, but yeah, now we have this looming question about where he's going to wind up, and great in Cincinnati. I think Philadelphia would just be an awesome landing spot for Castellanos yes. if he can get there. That's uh, the ideal. The last thing yeah. I'll add on Castellanos, like, while he should, I think, take a step back, He's been a very high floor player. His last three mm-hmm. full seasons in Roto, he's finished 63rd overall or better. So very high he, floor. And if he comes anywhere close to what he did last year, I, I, the ceiling, you know, we just saw the ceiling. So he has, he has consistently been a great line drive hitter who we wondered why he wasn't better in Detroit. And, and I will mention, like, it started when he went to the Cubs, which isn't really that great of a hitter's part, you know, but he was awesome there. He just had to get out of Detroit, basically. But, you know, given that Cincinnati is such an extreme hitter's park and given that the splits were as extreme as they were, and given that he has this history of, uh, of being impacted by the parks, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to pay last year's price for him. I don't know how I didn't realize this before. Nick Castellanos in 2019 had the most doubles by a hitter who didn't play in Coors Field since 1936. Oh, that's a cool stat. 58 doubles. 50, wow. That was the year split between Detroit. And yeah, Detroit Dallas. and Chicago. Yeah. Yep. I do want to go back to George Springer for a second. I agree. Like Nick Cassianos, totally fine with him here. I don't think where he lands is going to impact his value much. I think he's going to hit 285-ish no matter where he lands and the counting stats, you know. He's a four-category guy, and he's probably never going to be great in runs, so that's a little concerning. But I, I don't think there's much that can go wrong for him. But to go back to George Springer, give me all of the George Springer you have. <laughs> now, I'm worried that what you heard was give me a lot of George Springer. <laughs> what I said was give me all of the George Springer you have. This is yes. the perfect player that I want to target because he's only being discounted because of injuries. And... If he plays 155 games, like, you, I mean, Frank, you said it. We could have stopped it at he could be what Marcus Simeon was last season. This lineup is going to turn over like crazy. He's a good OBP guy. He's got great underlying skills. You could get 140 combined runs in RBI for him, and that's not like that outlandish with the if this lineup is anywhere near as good as it was last season. Like that's, he could just be, Absolutely monstrous. I mean, he's pretty close to 140 runs plus RBI per 162 games over his last three seasons. And that's, you know, not with the kind of volume that the Blue Jays lineup might provide. He's at 139 runs plus RBI. His per 162 over the last three seasons is 278, 124 runs, 115 RBI, 48 home runs. That's, that's, just stay yeah. healthy. Look, it's a All real it. it's a real issue for him, Chris. I mean, again, yeah, he's 32 no, years old and he's missed 25% of his games since the start mm-hmm. of 2017. So, I mean, there is something fundamentally here with George Springer, but right. it, even it, if he just has one IL stint, if he plays yeah. 100 and 
30 games, 140 games. Yeah, there's games. a big difference between 130 and 78. If he does 130 yeah. <laughs> this year instead of 78 like he did last season, obviously the difference is 58, but it's, you know, yeah. more than that. You can live with 30 missed games. You can live with 78, you know, games played, but... If he gets to 130, George Springer's going to be a steal at this price. I agree. I agree with that. There's three more. We're going to wrap up with these three going between picks 60 and 65. And Chris, we'll go right back to you. Let's make it somewhat brief because I know that we could probably do a whole podcast on just this player. But it's Byron Buxton. He's going at ADP 62, followed by Eloy Jimenez at 63.8 and Tyler O'Neill at 64.8. Buxton showed true superstar potential in 2021. Far and away the best version of that we've ever seen from him. 306 batting average, 19 homers, nine seals. That was in just 61 games. His 1,005 OPS was second among hitters with at least 250 plate appearances last season. He signed a seven-year extension with the Minnesota Twins this offseason. Lots of incentives involved there, so he's betting on himself. Chris, are you also betting at on Buxton at ADP 62? Yeah. That was, that was quick. I appreciate it. it. Quick. I mean, look, it, like if he had stayed healthy and did what he did for a full season, he probably would have won MVP. Like he might have been the best player in baseball on a per plate appearance basis last season on a per game basis. He, he's yeah. unbelievably good over the last th- the past three seasons. I pointed it out, this out before last season. The breakout started in 2019. The underlying numbers took a big step forward in 2020. They were even better in 2021. But just going back to the start of 2019 per 162 game pace. 277 average, 101 runs, 36 homers, 91 RBI, 22 stolen bases. He's unbelievably skilled. Yes, he might. He's going to have to stay healthy and all that, blah, 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 blah. If you spent a 10th round pick on Byron Buxton last season, he was a huge steal. If he plays 125 or 130 games this season, you spent a 6th round pick on him, he's going to be a huge steal. It's a lot like George Springer. The upside is massive, even with the the risk. I love George. Even higher. Upside yeah, like, I love Byron Buxton. He legitimately could be a first-round caliber contributor if he played mm-hmm. 145 games. Just how good was Buxton on a per-game basis last year? 3.9 fantasy points per game on CBS. That was tied for third among outfielders with Juan Soto. Yeah. Juan Soto. He won't be that good this a year. A top-five pick. Just to be yeah. clear. Like, yes. He's not going to have 1,000 OPS again. For sure. Yeah, I was gonna, awesome. I was going to ask the question, is it hypocritical for me to like Buxton but not so vehemently not like Adalberto Mondesi. And I'll answer my own question. And no, it's not hypocritical because Buxton is far and away a better hitter, just overall better hitter in terms of walk rate, strikeout rate, OPS, the things that we look at, like the true marks of a hitter, Buxton is much better than Adalberto Mondesi. Anyway, you know, consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. (laughs) What? Like, it's fine to like Byron Buxton and not like Adalberto Mondesi. I like both, but it's fine. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I but yeah, appreciate like, I, the approval. I think Byron Buxton's a better version of Teoscar Hernandez, and the injury risk is what it is, so the three-round difference makes sense. Uh, Scott, we've seen flashes from Eloy Jimenez. I, once again, have him as a breakout this year. The ADP a little bit lower now than where it was a year ago. I still think that we have that potential for a monster season. We have not seen it yet. It didn't happen last year. It was never going to happen. He tore his pec in spring training, and obviously uh, he was... Severely limited last year, but uh, I think maybe not to the same extent as like a Springer or a Nick Castellanos, but I think that we can see a season like that if everything comes together for Eloy Jimenez. It's certainly possible. I mean, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be too quick to judge a 25 year old with his 
prospect pedigree, but I was pretty discouraged by what I saw last year. I got to be honest. I know that was a severe injury he suffered early on. It cost him two-thirds of the season. But he had 249 with a 740 OPS after returning, and um, I'm, I'm not sure I see enough room in anything he's done to this point. The stat cast data, you know, old, older metrics like uh, plate discipline, strikeout, walk ratio, that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, he doesn't contribute any speed. He's not getting on base independently from his batting average. His strikeout rate, I don't think necessarily supports him hitting for a high average anyway. I know he managed to hit 296 in the 55 games he played during the short 2020 season. But, I mean, just look at his career stats to this point. 270 batting average, 822 OPS, about a 30 homer pace is the power. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a solid player for sure. Uh, but He's got to be better. Even, even at his price tag now, yeah, you're counting on improvement. And, and that's, I have to say the most, the biggest lying stat I've ever seen in my life is Eloy Jimenez, 61st percentile on sprint speed. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> he turns like the ever given, you know, the boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Like the, he, he, ah, yes. That, I, I had, I had to look it up. <laughs> I had to look it up to exp- my life. I, I had to look it up to express, to, to <laughs> explain the joke, but yeah. Um, you didn't hear about that, Scott? No. When, the boat that got it? stuck in the canal? You didn't hear about this? No. You didn't see this? Wow, it was all, no. all in the news. Well, the I'm boat happy. got stuck in, in the Suez Canal. Okay. Okay, cool. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're, you're expecting Eloy Jimenez to take a big step forward. He's a little Nick castellanos in the profile, like in the best case scenario. Like you're hoping he turns into like a Nick castellanos e type player. And he's not that much cheaper than Nick Castellanos. So it's, it's right. kind of... It's kind of like, well, what's the point of paying that premium when I, you know, just get the guy who's already done it a little bit, you know? I guess it depends on how you feel about Nick Castellanos and if he could come anywhere close to repeating what he did last year, not playing his home games in Great American Ballpark. Right, make it, make your case for Eloy, Frank. I know he's your guy. Yeah. Make I, your case. I still just, I see a 25-year-old where I, I don't think he's hit his peak yet. Uh, he hit 31 home runs as a rookie in 2019. I know it was a shortened season in 2020, but he hit 15 homers and 891 OPS that year. And it, it seemed like everything was just trending upwards of him taking this huge step. I mean, what what was, what was what could have been the, the next step if he was healthy last year? Could it have been, you know, a, a 290 batting average, uh, over 900 OPS? I don't know. It, it kind of seems like that's the way that he was trending. He hits too many ground balls. The plate discipline is not great. Uh, but typically when he hits the ball in the air, he crushes the ball in the air. He's got like this Juan Soto thing going on. So ideally, you'd just like him to hit more line drives and fly balls. But um, yeah, as long as he hits the ball with as much authority as he does in the air, then I think he'll be fine. Obviously, it's a great ballpark to hit in. It's a great lineup to hit in. So it's really just a a bet on prospect pedigree and the fact that he's still in his prime age. I take absolutely nothing from last year. In fact, I read an article that he said his timing was completely off once he returned. So maybe that was an excuse, but I think someone coming back from a torn pec, I I think that that is a perfectly reasonable excuse. So uh, I'm still giving Eloy Jimenez the benefit of the doubt. And I've always said I think that we can get a Nolan Arenado type breakout season from Eloy Jimenez, and I still think that's possible. It's just like true four category stud, probably not as many runs. I know Chris, you've, you've talked about that. He's he's not fast. 
uh, despite what his print well, speed says. Very slow, low OBP. Yes. So that, that, yeah, those that, two that's things. questionable. But um, can he hit close to 40 home runs, approach a 300 yeah. batting average with like 100 plus RBI? Yeah, I, I think it's possible, even though we haven't seen it yet. The last name here is Tyler O'Neill. He finishes the 27th overall player in Roto last season. 286 batting average, 34 homers, 89 runs, 15 steals. He was awesome. However, you know, he does strike out quite a bit, and uh, he himself has struggled to stay healthy. Uh, you know, he did mostly last year, 138 games, so mix in one IL stint there. Scott, what do you think about the price tag here on Tyler O'Neill? He's another one of these freak athletes, like a Randy Rosarena, like a Javier Baez, where the plate discipline is not good, but just what he can do physically, he's able to overcome those things. Right. He has the sort of profile that can overcome the 31.3% strikeout rate he had last year. It's an awful strikeout rate. Uh, but you, we've we've seen over the years from various players that y- if you impact the ball hard enough, you can overcome that. It's a bit of a tightrope walk. He that uh, th- there are there are inherent risks to investing in Tyler O'Neill. Uh, he hasn't sustained it year after year, but in theory, what he did last year is something he should be capable of. I mean, his expected stats were basically in line with his actual stats and considering their speed in the profile too, 98 percentile sprint speed. Like that's crazy. And he stole 15 bases. Yeah. Um, he's an outlier athlete. He's yeah. He's, he's in, he, and he looks like Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> his arms are so big. Yeah. Um, I think it's okay. I, th- there's risk and I, I don't normally like investing in the big strikeout guys, especially if they haven't, proven themselves year after year but when you factor in the speed potential and you know he's not he's not going at the full extent of his upside anyway he's more like uh what is that seventh round pick in a 12 team league i I think that's okay i'm not saying he's a guy i draft a lot but i i think the cost is is okay it's not prohibitive for somebody who tends to play it safe with the high strikeout guys all right. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically if I like Randy Rosarena in the categories league, I, I should probably like Tyler O'Neill. The problem I mean, I like O'Neill. High I like O'Neill sure. more. Yeah. yeah. The thing with me when it comes to O'Neill, I do think that he's a higher injury risk. Just in general, guys that are this, let's go with bulky, I think that they are at a higher risk of injury just playing the sport of baseball every single day. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen it with Judge and Stanton and even Tyler O'Neill himself. Like, you know, he has consistently missed time. So that, and the plate discipline is worse than, than Randy Rosarena. He strikes oh, out more, yeah. he walks less. So I, I think he's more risky. He was part of bust 1.0 for me. I, I don't think he would completely bottom out, but I, I do think that he's a little bit overvalued at this cost. Oh, I think, I mean, he is in NFC drafts. He's going a lot higher. He is 48.8. Um, yeah, that's, that's too risky for me. He's I mean, a you top understand 50 it they, People sell out for upside. Yeah, yeah, and, and the upside, but, but among yeah. the players being drafted in the top 50, since I don't think Alberto Mondesi is anymore, I have to imagine Tyler O'Neill's the, the most likely to just lose his job outright at some point this season. I'm not saying that's likely, right. but it's more likely for him than Francisco Lindor, Paul Goldschmidt, and JT Realmuto, the next three guys being drafted in NFC drafts. So... You know, there's there's an awful lot of risk there at that price, but the underlying skill set, you know, he he actually does have the tools that can carry and make up for it. 
Um, it's just, you know, can he be a 31% strikeout guy instead of a 35% strikeout rate guy and, and all that comes with that. So mm-hmm. it's risky. It's tough. There's a lot of upside there, though. Overall, I think that this is a good range, though, to target outfielders. Buxton, I like. Eloy, I like. Springer, I'm with you, Chris. I like him quite a bit. Castellanos, depending on the landing spot, I think Philly would be awesome for him. Uh, a Rosarena, for me, these guys, definitely more skeptical, and I get it. Uh, but in a categories league, I, I like this range. This like fifth, sixth round range. It feels really good for outfielders. We're going to wrap there. This is part one, and uh, oh my gosh, 90 minutes of content here. I promise tomorrow's podcast, we will be more efficient. We don't have a choice. We There's so many outfielders to get to. <laughs> for Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball. Today, we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.